0: I like that uh, thing. Can you somebody turn this down? Thank you. Yeah, it all started with a butterfly, didn't it? Something as simple as a butterfly, something so trivial, something so small, to something so bad. You know, sometimes it doesn't take, it doesn't take much to get this thing right. I'm going to get angry right now in about a minute. One, two, three. We'll have to make it work. Actually, maybe I'll just use this thing. I'm not sure. How do you hear me out there? Loud. Loud. Okay. <laughs> it would be under the uh, air. Joey's going to grab it for us. Yeah, you know, we didn't do a sound check. Actually, we actually did a sound check when music was playing. You know, I was uh, carefully considering what uh, I was going to share this Sunday morning uh, as the elders. You know, we were, you know, we're trying to we're filling the gap right now, filling the breach. And uh, it came to me that uh, I had that I've sensed a lot of uh, anger. I've sensed a lot of rage. Uh, I've sensed a lot of uh, uh, unhappiness. Uh, and it's. Obviously, well, it's obvious to all of us in the room why and uh, and I know sometimes it doesn't take much to, to, to set us off and too many times when we get set off, we just keep on going. We don't stop. It just builds and it builds and builds kind of like the video, you know, the butterfly starts it and it just keeps going. Seventy nine years later and you have the apocalypse from anger to rage and then many times it rolls from anger to rage then to vengeance. It's not enough for us to get angry. It's not enough for us to rage. But sometimes we decide whoever we're mad at, we've got to get vengeance against. We live in a very angry world today. Nations rage against nations. Political parties, we know they're raging against other political parties. Family members rage against each other over politics and religion. Bullying begets school shootings. We have road rage in the streets. We have air rage in the air. Drive-bys, flash mobs, going postal. These are all parts of our vernacular today. Our colleges today need safe spaces for students who are victims of microaggressions. Something that hurts their feelings, but in all honesty, they really can't tell you what it is that's hurting their feelings. They just know that their feelings are hurt and they're mad, they're angry. But anger and rage is nothing new. It's been going on since the dawn of time. Anger made Cain kill Abel. Anger and rage against David made Saul lose his throne. Anger made Moses cast down the first set of the Ten Commandments. Our emotions are on edge. We're burned out, stressed out, strung out. We get angry at the guy driving too slow in the carpool lane. Anybody do that besides me? That is a personal hot button. I've shared that with my Sunday school class, and my wife will be the first to tell you. And I don't even need to be driving. I can just be the passenger, and I go, what is this guy? Everybody's going faster in the other lanes. And what's worse is you can't get out of the carpool lane, lest you take a chance of getting a ticket. Now, when you're old like me, you have every reason to be impatient, because when you're this old, you don't have much time left. So that's... so, and if. if Huh? We agree, right? You, young people, you don't understand, but when you get old, you, you know, you, it's easy for you to be patient. It's a lot harder for us because, you know, every time I look at the watch, it says, man, I got less time. So I get angry. I get impatient. And too many Christians, when things don't go our way, we get mad at God. We say, why me, Lord? Why not the other guy? Why do bad things always happen to me? Too many of us are never really balanced or even are on an even keel. Some of us are always upset. And if we're not upset, we're looking for reasons to be upset. We can bring things from happy to sad to mad in a nanosecond. We can jump from hot to cold and come right back to hot again. And people like when you're a person like that, people walk around on eggshells around us. They never know what's going to set us off. Now, some of you people might be looking inwardly right now and going, I am, I'm not that person. And some of you might be looking inwardly right now and says, you know, sometimes I'm that person. And others of you, others of you might be thinking, Pfft, I'm that person all the time. Maybe I need to tone it down. A preacher knows when he hits a nerve when someone uh, with someone because they, they will, they'll they'll do this when we're preaching uh, you know, someone they'll all of a sudden they'll do this and then they give you the look you hit a nerve. So what does the Bible say about rage and anger? After all, didn't God get angry? With his people. Read the Old Testament. There was a lot of of, uh, teaching going on in the Old Testament with the people of Israel. Didn't Jesus get angry at the money changers in the temple? And isn't righteous anger righteous? And if God can be wrathful, then why can't I? Because sometimes I have a lot of rage and sometimes I have a lot of anger and I want to just let the wrath go forth. Well, to begin with, we aren't God. God is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, God does what God does because God does what he wills because God is God. And the thing to remember is that God's wrath is just. If you don't take anything away from here today, that's one of the, that's a good takeaway. You know, I, my brother Rob said, did, no, no uh, handouts. I should have got a handout, been busy running around. But God's wrath is just. We might think our wrath is just, but God's wrath is just. Theologian J.J. Packer said it best. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and a necessary action to objective moral evil. So when God meters out his wrath, it's a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. When we meter out our wrath and our anger, many times it has nothing to do with that. We just are angry and mad and we want somebody to know it. God's wrath is to be feared. If you don't fear God's wrath, then you don't know God very well. You're not in the scriptures enough. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glo- uh, uh, sh- Falling short of God's glory, and as sinners, we d- we desire His wrath. God's wrath is to be feared because God can truly deliver on it. We don't need to be the instrument of God's wrath. He really doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to administer His wrath. He he's, He can do it all by Himself. And when the Bible tells in three twenty three that all have sinned. The key word in that passage is all if you looked at my notes here, you're going to see it's all in caps, because like I said so many times and and those who know all means. All means all everyone in the room. We also have to remember that God's wrath is consistent in both the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. The Jehovah God in Jeremiah three twenty three, where we read, behold, the storm of the Lord wrath has gone forth a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. It will burst. It'll burst upon the head of the wicked is the same father God who in Revelation 1915, we read from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of his wrath of of the wrath of God, the almighty. So while we view while we view the New Testament, the new covenant with Jesus, as love and kindness and compassion, when we get all the way to the end into Revelation, we also discover that God's wrath is consistent. The wrath of God against those who are against him is the same wrath that he that he displayed in the Old Testament. God's wrath is his love and action against sin. I know love and wrath are at odds with each other. And, you know, you don't you don't you don't tend to put them together. It's kind of like an oxymoron. Well, they've got love and love is warm and fuzzy and wrath is less than warm and fuzzy. It's kind of mean, uh, hot and, 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 and violent many times. But while God is love, God is also just. And to act justly, he must judge. Sometimes harshly. No one escapes God's ultimate judgment. Thank be to God that uh, his son, Jesus Christ, uh, died on the cross for us. And through his grace, we're saved. But for those that reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. They will face God's ultimate judgment. So that's why, unless you believe that uh, God's wrath is satisfied in Christ, Timothy wrote in his first letter in in the first chapter, the 15th verse, he said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You know, Timothy writes, I am the foremost. You go to Romans, Paul says he's the foremost, you know, and then the reality is, is they're all we're all sinners. And sometimes it felt like sometimes the apostles were jockeying for who could be the, you know, who's, you know. But, but they understood. They understood that, that while people were maybe put, put a lot of a store in how good they were and, oh, this is the apostle Paul. And he says, but back off, just know and understand that in me is sin and I fight with it and I struggle with it, you know, but grace be to God that I can, I, I work to overcome it. Romans and, and it was Paul who wrote in Romans three twenty six it was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one that has faith in Jesus. So let me unpack this for you. Many of us feel hurt right now. Many of us feel angry. Some of us feel discouraged. Mad, frustrated. About the events in the last few weeks. And truth be told, it's natural to feel that way. It's just part of our nature. All those emotions are attached to one another, and then they're all a part of our sin nature anger, being upset, mad, the desire to be wrathful and and vengeful. Satan wants us to be angry, he wants us mad. He wants us to be discouraged. Satan wants us to be vengeful. Satan wants us to strike back. And all of these things do nothing to glorify God and edify his church. Romans twelve nineteen says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Too often, it's our tendency to want to repay. We want our pound of flesh. We want to. It's not that we want to get even. We want to get revenge on a variety of things. I know I've struggled with that, and I'm sure others have struggled with that as as well. In other words, God, the father needs no help from us. He'll deal with the sin in our flock. Ephesians four thirty one and 32, we read, get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, anger is sinful when it's directed toward a person. See, we wrestle not against flesh and against blood. If we direct our anger toward a person, and maybe not the sin, then what we're doing is we're playing we're playing Satan's game. How often have we said, Well, you know, it's 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 not the sinner, it's the sin. Now those are words, they're easy to say. Well it's not the sinner, it's the sin, but oh my gosh, that guy just makes me nuts. A pox on his house. Because sometimes feeling these feelings make us feel better. Anger is sinful when it's without justifiable cause. A lot of things make us angry that, that, that shouldn't have made us angry. It's like when it's like when our grandkids will get angry or they'll get upset about something. And I'll ask them, I says, is this, you know, they'll be crying about, oh, they hurt my feelings. I said, well, what did they do? And I'll say, well, you know, Jacob said this or Jacob did that. And I says, is that really worth crying about? And then you get the deer in the headlights like, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm angry. And I want to rage and I want. Yeah, but since you asked the question, no, not really. Anger is sinful when we're seeking vengeance. When you get to that point, where you begin to seek vengeance. You're really playing into Satan's playground. He has you, by he has you right now. You might not realize it, but you're playing to his game. You're dancing to his tune. Anger is sinful when we're breeding bitterness. In ourselves. And when we breed bitterness in others. See, it's one thing for me to be angry and to be bitter about something, but it's another thing for me to go to other people and then begin to build bitterness into them. To make them angry. Did you hear about this? Let me share this with you. I'm so angry, and they keep working on you till you get as angry as they are. When you do that, it's sinful. And anger is sinful when it's not forgiving. We're going to get angry. There's nothing we can do about it. We're going to get mad from time to time. I mean, I've been mad at Sandy. Once or twice in 46 years. Uh, She's been mad at me. uh, Well, let's see, the last time was. uh... But I deserve it. So there you go. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, wrote in, in 426 and 27, he said, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not, uh, and do not uh, let the devil get a foothold. In other words, you know, Paul understood when he was writing to the, to the church in Ephesus. He says, look, I understand you guys get angry about things. But if you get angry, then don't take it. Don't 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 uh, don't direct it at someone in 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 a bad way. You know, don't don't breed bitterness. Don't not forgive. Because when you do, you're giving the devil a foothold. And maybe not just in your own life, but maybe in the lives of other people that you're surrounding yourselves with. Now, I know this has been a rough couple of weeks here in our church, and trust me, I've been through much worse. I have. Don't allow yourself to be provoked into anger. If someone is provoking you. Walk away. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger and rage is always there, waiting for an opportunity when you least expect it. Because behind the smile of an angry person, they're boiling. You know, anger resides in people who laugh with you, who sleep who sleep alongside you, people who live with you, family members, friends, co-workers. And our anger and rage, regardless of who or what it's directed at, never glorifies God and edifies the body of Christ, His church. Our church. So. We have some decisions to make in our lives, you know, not just over the the issues in the last the last few weeks, but in our issues that we might deal with going forward uh, in our in our relationships with family and friends and co-workers. For those of you who still have co-workers. How often do we get angry? How often do we get mad? How often do we shake our fist? Maybe not. Up front like that, but, you know, in our in our mind's eye, we're shaking our fist to someone. They make me so angry. They just make me so mad. Now, I, I'm, I'm a type. I'm a type B personality, so I'm 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 pretty slow to anger, except on the freeway when I'm not driving and someone's going slow in the carpool lane. And I'm trying to reach over to honk the horn or can you flash the brights? It drives me nuts. And there's no real reason for it because you know what? What, what am I going to gain if we get ahead of somebody? A minute of time? I think I could spare a minute of my time. But getting worked up and driving by and glaring at the person in the car, and calling him you know, moron, I'm confessing right now. Sandy knows. That's my go to word when I get mad. And there's no room for anger in, 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 in our life if we want to please and glorify God. There's no room for anger and, 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 uh, and vengeance and rage in the body of believers. God doesn't want us angry because it doesn't glorify, it doesn't glorify him and it doesn't edify the, his body. Now, I know that many of you have been angry over what has transpired in our church the last few weeks. I know because you've let us know. And I know that because I was angry. I was disappointed. I struggled. I was angry at Jeff. I was angry at myself because I'm asking myself and I know some of the other elders. Why couldn't we discern this? And we get angry at God. Because many times that's where our anger ends. We get mad at him. Ultimately, you know, God is God is sovereign. It's God's will. How can this be inside of God's will? How can this be God's will? I'm not Job, I'm not, you know, I've, I've learned enough from reading, reading uh, Job that, you know, questioning when you when you start questioning God, you know, God's just going to knock you down a peg and say, well, where were you? You know, you think you're so smart. Why are you questioning me? The reality is, is God's will is sovereign. God is sovereign. His will is sovereign. And whatever transpires, you know, all things work together for what? Right. All things work together for good, who's trust got and called. And we're, are we all called according to his purpose? Right. I trust that we all are. So all things work together for good. So something good is going to transpire out of out of this, out of this rut that we have just found ourselves in. Something good is going to happen. Something good is going to transpire. We're going to grow from this. We're going to be blessed by this. But right now, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, it's easier just to be disappointed, angry, and and questioning and scratching our head and this idea that we want to know. Because I know that uh, some of you have unanswered questions. And some of you have reached out to, to the elders looking for answers. And understand and know we know that's perfectly normal, it's natural. But sometimes we can't speak about things that uh, that were made known of as elders. If you, one of you came to me and you shared with me something that was burdening you, something that you were struggling with, or if you went to Ron, Tim, Joey, and you shared stuff with us in confidence, the key word in that phrase is in confidence. It's not stuff I can share with others. It's not stuff I would share with others. If you came to me and you poured your heart out to me and shared something with me that was very personal very and very and and very deep and very hurting to you, and then you found out, as soon as I, got, I picked up the phone, I said, do you know what's going on in so-and-so's life? Oh, my gosh. Would you ever trust me again? And do I deserve your trust? And do I deserve to be an elder of this church? The answer to all of those, all of those questions is, is, is a resounding no. We keep it personal. That's our job. But if you come to us and you tell us that it's okay to share your struggle, if it might help others. Then we can do that. But you have to give us permission. Well, you know, you can talk about this to others. I want you to share. I I want you to build on. I want this to be a learning moment, a teaching moment. I want people to learn from this. I did this. It's like with my boys. When they were growing up, they would do something. They do something really, really, really silly. And they would, you know, and then it would blow up in their face. And then, of course, my question always was, did you learn anything? And, of course, Eric, you know, being the one that he was, his initial drop answer was, yeah, I learned not to get caught. I said, no, 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 no. What did you learn? And the kids understood and knew that when I asked, did you learn anything from this? I didn't expect just a, uh-huh, yeah, I did. No, I wanted them to re- I wanted them to tell me, what is it that you learned? Well, Dad, I learned that if I did X, Y and Z, the outcome is A, B and C. I said, "Okay." so the next time you are thinking about, you're pondering about, considering doing X, Y and Z, what do you think the outcome is going to be? A, B and C. You don't want to go there. Don't do it again. What do they say the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Now, right now, we know that some of you are conflicted and some of you want answers and some of you want to know exactly what Jeff did to cause him to resign. And we know that some are talking to others about it and and we know that there's speculation. Or a better word for the talking about it speculation is the word gossip. And sadly, gossip takes on a life of its own. That's why gossip makes the list of sins against others. It does. How many of you ever played the game of uh, telephone when you were a kid? Somebody starts a story over here and they tell the story to this person over here who then tells the story to this person. And it goes down, goes down a a line of 10 people and says, "Okay, so what's the story? And it has nothing to do with what the first story was, except maybe a name and a place. But beyond that, it has been amplified and glorified or de-glorified or been twisted. And it's not anything close. Gossip doesn't honor God. Gossip does not edify the body of Christ. Gossip is a tool of Satan. And when we gossip, we allow Satan to use us to further his plans and his designs. I know this is some heavy stuff I'm sharing with you today. I mean, oh, yeah, Dave, he's pretty good with some jokes, but no, not today. This has been a real burden on my heart. Understand and know the sin that brought Jeff Patton to his knees is in confession to the elder board and brought about his resignation is not the sin he committed against you. That sin is against God, it's against Lisa, his family, and it is sin against those that were directly involved with him in that sin. Not us. Yes, only sin against us. The congregation of the Grace Brethren Church of Norwalk is that he lied to us, that he deceived us, and that he's guilty of hypocrisy as our pastor. That's his sin against us. And those are the sins we're called on to forgive him for. So that said, though, I know that many of you are still struggling with the uh, with what Jeff was doing that caused him to resign. I know some of you are. Some of you still want to know. And uh, so if anyone feels that they really, really need to know. That you really have to know after all of this, that that knowing is, is what's going to give you closure. Come talk to one of the elders, not on the phone. You can talk to us face to face and ask us. I got to know. I just got to know. I'm so angry. I just got to know. And we'll tell you. If, if you think it's going to make you feel better. We have both Jeff and Lisa's permission to do that now. We'll privately, keyword privately, share that information with you. But trust me when I tell you, knowing will not make you feel any better. It won't. It just leads to other questions. And those questions have no answers. I know because I've been trying to figure it out myself. It's, it's like, huh? I... And I know that the, the, the handful of, of, of church leaders here that, that know, they're struggling with the same thing. It's like, I... but if you think you need to know, talk to one of the elders, we'll tell you. But Understand. If after finding out, you feel the need to share this information with others for whatever reason. You'll be guilty of gossiping. You will give Satan a toehold. Your gospel will not glorify God and will not edify this body of believers. So beware of what you wish for. You might not like what you get. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask your blessing upon this congregation. We've been through a lot in the last few weeks. We are hurt. We have we've we've been deceived. And it's painful. Lord, we just pray that you will give us a a spirit of uh, of of blessing and a spirit of, uh, of of enrichment and just know we can move forward. And we know that. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And we're going to grab hold and we're going to embrace and not let go of that promise. We know that there are good things in our future. We know that you're going to bless this congregation by our actions and by our deeds. We pray that Satan not get a toehold in our congregation. We just pray that he not be involved in anything that we're being involved in. We pray that you give us wisdom and guidance and that your will be accomplished in all things. And we just thank you for the blessings that you have put on this corner since, since uh, 65 years ago and, and how, however long the church has been here. Lord, we just thank you for the ministries that we have here. We thank you for uh, the outreach to Boyle Heights. We thank you for the, the, the people who pour themselves into the life of our children. And we thank you for the, the Bible clubs and all the things that, that we're involved in here, Lord, that, to reach out and to share the gospel. So let us focus on the good things, Lord. Let us focus on the positive things. Let us focus on the things that glorify you and edify this body of believers on the corner of Foster and Studebaker Road. I just ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week.